Welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not the same as personalized therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or to submit a poem for me to read on the podcast, email me at homecomingpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, to build our community, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. Welcome home, co-journers. I'm glad you're here for another episode, and I am so excited that we have a special guest on today. Reverend Mike Warren Jr., who is the senior pastor of First Corinthian Baptist Church in Harlem, New York. He is an author, an activist, a community organizer with a heart for mental health, and many, many years ago gave me one of my first jobs at Duke University in Black Campus Ministries. So, Pastor Mike, how are you? I am wonderful. This is such an honor uh, to be here with you. I am so extremely proud of you and all the work that you've done. It is just amazing uh, to see. And I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, really proud and excited for everything you've been doing. Thank you. Well, I am appreciative of your work over the years and you continue to be a shining light from North Carolina to Atlanta to New York. Yes. And I want us to focus on today a big piece of your work is about authenticity and us being real as people and about our faith. And so uh, we're going to frame today as the path or the road to authenticity. And I want to first start by asking you, what does it mean to be authentic? Yeah. You know, I remember reading somewhere and it really, it, it stuck with me and still sticks with me that, you know, authenticity in, in a word means to be true to your own personality, true to your own values and, and true to your spirit, I think. And that's that's tough. In in the book that I wrote, I said, you know, being yourself in an age of conformity takes tremendous courage. Mm. Tremendous courage to be your authentic self. So that's why I said, I think true to your own personality, true Mm -hmm. to your body, and true to your spirit. Excellent. And it is true that it takes courage because there is so much pressure to conform and to copy, to fit in. And I know from, you know, my own work as a psychologist that often the things we are drawn to, there's a story there in terms of our own life experience. And so from your journey, how do you think authenticity came to be so important? Yeah. I mean, one of the things is that my, you know, I say this and I don't say it lightly. So much of my life has been shaped by deep trauma beginning at around 10. And I think I wrote a piece and I talked about the origin of my own insecurity, the birth of insecurity. And for me, it started at 10 when I had surgery and it was just a lot. And I came out of the surgery. I thought in my own eyes, kind of disfigured and all these stitches and scars. And when it started with me having some image issues at 10, because all I could see was how I looked when I first came out of the surgery, the swollen face, the the major cut on the side of my face. They removed the tumor. I had 
42 stitches on the side of my face. And all I could see for years was that. And so the way I saw myself was the way I thought everyone else saw me, right? And so I started trying to camouflage what I thought was the chaos, mask my own misery by creating all these different personas in many ways, right? And so I, and those personas stayed with me for a long time, trying to get people to like me. I thought that's what I had to do, trying to get people to want to befriend me. So I found myself performing, but performing away my own authenticity, becoming so many things for so many different people in the desire to be liked. And so from the time I was about 10, up and be honest with you, up until I really went into my adult years when I really had to face some of my own deep psychic fractures and wounds as a father, as, as a pastor, I knew I could not live in these roles, not being at ease in my own skin, right? I couldn't show up for these different spaces if I wasn't willing to honor my own uniqueness. And I really intentionally started this journey and the journey began with me having to go back to the origin of my pain and the origin of my, my insecurity and, and a lot of therapy. <laughs> Help, you know, me yeah. to get there. And because I tell people therapy saved my life because it was in the midst of trying to get back to a place of what I believe was, was my, my true self that I found myself battling things I, I was not equipped to. And it was in that journey that I had my first like suicidal ideations, mm-hmm. all that. Here I was a pastor, yes. right? Yes. And then, I, then you really go into these kind of despairing spaces because in my mind, how can I be a pastor battling all these things, wrestling with my own crisis of identity and dealing with this mental health issue between depression and anxiety? And so, you know, this journey, this path, I tell people has been hard fought and where I am today has been hard earned because I had to cut through a lot of layers to get to a place where I'm absolutely and completely comfortable with who I am. (laughs) Mm, What a testimony. And I'm so glad for your transparency. Such a a large number of our listeners are trauma survivors. And so speaking about that early experience at uh, such a young age, I think is so important because often I think we get forgetful about those younger years and the pressures and desire to be chosen, accepted, approved of, and also along with overlooking the mental health of children, I think we definitely overlook the mental health needs of pastors and other leaders uh, because there can be this assumption of perfection and that pressure, right? And so thank you for being a truth teller and being willing to get help because I know by you being willing to get help and get support, that gives permission to your congregants and members to be able to say, well, a pastor could do it, I can do it too. Absolutely, I'll say this, in in the book I, I put a portion when I talked about the birth of my insecurities and I traced everything back to that room, that hospital room I was in, because this is 1981. I was in a hospital for three weeks. And mm. in those days, your parents couldn't stay. And oh, so you were by yourself. 20, well, 20 nights at 10 by yourself in the hospital, being poked and prodded all night. It was very traumatizing. What I said is that it took me 
over 25 years to get out of that room. I said, mm-hmm. I graduated from high school in that room. I graduated from college in that room. I became a father in that room. Mm-hmm. I got married in that room. I became a pastor. I never left that room. Mm. that's how attached I was to that trauma. Yes. So, no, it is, it is real. It is. Ah, uh, uh-huh. And being in that room, would you say was like isolation or distrust or disconnection? What did it mean to continue to be in the room? It, it means that I never transcended that traumatizing narrative. Mm. And I developed from a child to adolescence to adult with the weight of that trauma, the weight of that terror, the weight of that fear and everything that came alive in me. I look at pictures of myself before that time, after I look completely different. Hmm. My smiles were forced. I look like a very unhappy child. Before that, the ha- my mother would say hmm. the happiest child you could imagine. Uh. But that experience, that child got buried. Mm-hmm. And so part of my journey of authenticity meant me going back and reclaiming that 10-year-old. Mm. And that young boy and that joy that I had that died in November of, of I thought, in November mm-hmm. of Hmm. So along with medical trauma from your work with people, what do you see as some of the other issues that lead people to be inauthentic? Yeah, I, I think one of the things is you've already alluded to it, this fear of being disliked. Right. Because I had to learn that the price of freedom may be the courage to be disliked. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the price. So fear of being disliked, a desire to be affirmed and and validated. Right. And also an unwillingness to see the to bask in the glory of one's own uniqueness. Right. Because you said it before. So much of what we do is a thirst of validation. In fact, that's what I'm critiquing in the book, what I call a culture in which we're addicted to affirmation and validation. And a lot of it is because we're being bombarded daily with images that say that we are not enough, right? Whether it's social media, television, everything says you need more, you need more. And so if you look, if you take that to heart, and then if you're a person who then has these rabid insecurities on top of that, then you drift further and further away from what is the genuine about you in an effort to be light. I say that, you know, think about all the things we go through, not to be loved in this age, but to be liked, right? We contort ourselves physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, in order to be liked and not necessarily loved. So mm-hmm. I think that need for validation, that thirst for affirmation, and then the inability to be at ease in your own uniqueness drives us in many ways away from our authentic self. Wow. And you think about that multiplied when we consider social media. That's it. Literally people doing things that are not them for the likes. For the likes, the danger, I call it the danger of looking for likes, Mm. you know, the things we will do at any cost for that. And the thing is, is that we're looking for validation from strangers. Yes. We're looking to be approved by unproven people. (laughs) Right. So it it is amazing. But this you got the social media age has us like that. We we are so here's the thing. I said this this past Saturday at at Morehouse that we think somehow that something is wrong with our lives because we're fixated on the insta lives of other people. That somehow we think that we're wrong, that we're off and we get into feel depressed 
because we feel like we're not living our best life and we're comparing the fullness of our life to someone else's snapshots and, and thinking that something yeah. is wrong with us. No, nothing is wrong with us, mm-hmm. right? We, we, all you have to do is continue to live this. This life is filled with inconsistencies, ups and downs, but it doesn't mean we are defined by the things we view as negative about ourselves, right? Yes. So yeah, I think social media is a great contributing factor to not only the insecurity, but also giving birth to the, the deep narcissism in our culture. Mm-hmm. So when you mentioned that courage to be unliked or disliked, to be unacceptable, yeah, that for many people, that's a heavy price to pay. But then what do we gain? Like, what is the benefit of being authentic, given that then some people will reject you? Oh, one word, freedom. Mm. Yes. Freedom. freedom. I mean, freedom is to live within a world where you you are seeking to be true, as I said at the beginning, to your own personality, your own values, and your own spirit. It may mean seeming awkward to others. It may mean that you seem a little strange. But the awkwardness and the strangeness is not because you're awkward or strange. It's because there are others, maybe, who do not have the courage to be themselves. Then want you to capitulate to an idea or expectations of what they may desire for you or what they're afraid to do for themselves. Mm. But Mm. when you live in the fullness of who you are, the freedom you gain, you walk different, you talk different because you don't find yourself on a daily quest to be approved because you approve of yourself. And as a pastor, I tell people, it's two things that are critical. If you know that God sees you and you see you, there's nothing else that's needed at that point. To be seen by God and seen by yourself, because so many of us miss ourselves trying to be something else. Mm. And freedom is the great, because it is also the cost, right? Yeah. The cost is freedom and the gain is freedom, Mm. right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So for those who are listening, who I know, as soon as you say it's freedom, they say, I want some of that. <laughs> right? Sign me up right. for that. Right. Yeah. So what are some uh, steps people can take to live a more authentic life? Well, even in my writing, I don't I don't necessarily give steps. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. Because in my experience, if I say, well, there's three steps to freedom mm-hmm. and you do the three steps and you still don't feel free. Right. What happens is you don't look at the steps. You start looking at you Mm. thinking that it's something flawed with you because it didn't work. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do, whether it's in the preaching or teaching and even in the book, I want to raise an awareness that you may not people may not be aware of. And I use the language of unfree. You may not even be aware that you're among the ranks of the unfree. Right. Because this this living a life of validation has become so normalized in your own being that you are not always aware that you're unfree. Mm. And, and, and I say, how is it that the unfree don't know that they're unfree? Because <laughs> uh. sometimes the captivity can be alluring and beautiful. And the captivity can also be connected to your own desires and attachments. Mm. Right? And those attachments Many, you know, many Buddhists would say those attachments are the heart of your suffering. You know, Simone Weil said one time, she said, attachment is the great fabricator of illusions. And reality can be attained only by someone who is detached. So if, if attachment is the great fabricator of illusions and you're attached 
to the need to be validated, you're creating an illusionary world in some ways that you are not even the, you may be the main character, but you're not writing the script. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. And so it is being unfree and then the not knowing. So even recognizing it is progress, is a breakthrough to be able to realize. Yeah. One. So if you do want to use that, one, to be aware that you're unfree. Mm -hmm. Right. And then once you're aware that you're unfree to actually see the world that was created by you in that state of captivity and enslavement. Mm. Because the work of enslavement is to suffocate possibility, Uh, right? It is to strangle your identity. Mm. So one, if you're aware that you're unfree, and then you begin to understand the nature, you're aware of that, and then you begin to understand the nature of of the enslavement and the world you've created because you've been unfree. Well, the next thing that happens, and I've experienced this, you start going to this place like, oh my God, feeling as though you've wasted time. No, 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 no. The idea is to then understand where the bleeding and the emotional bruising began. Because in some ways, what you begin to construct, right? Mm-hmm. This awareness is a place where the true you, the warrior you, and the wounds that gave birth to the disingenuousness meet. Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) And and when the warrior and the wounded you meet, you Mm. begin to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. The wounded me is real because that trauma is real. But who I created because of those wounds are not. There's a warrior in me that wants to come alive. And the way that warrior begins to live is when I breathe the fresh air to my emotionally depleted lungs of genuineness. Right. Mm. I think that is. in many Yes. Ways. Yes. And so then we can detach from all of those things that we thought were necessary for our lives that yeah. are not. And, and I would say, Dr. Tamer, the one uh, last requirement may be then something is actually the last chapter of the book. You have to go into the silence. Mm. Enter the silence and hear the whispers of your own soul. Mm. from the noise that you become addicted to in your unfree state. Yes. Begin to hear yourself and begin to find out what actually makes you come alive. And when you begin that process, you'll find, you'll begin to shed and shake free from the things that are not in alignment with the frequency of your own authenticity. My goodness. You will. Cause it becomes in like, that whole thing of once you see it, you can't unsee it. Like it's no longer tolerable. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. and there'll be that, I, I went through it, there's that phase. And that's why I would say along the journey of awareness of what, where you've been, it requires a lot of grace, yeah, patience and kindness. Mm-hmm. Because I know the first time I did this, I, I would say, I can't believe that I let this happen. I can't believe mm-hmm. I became that person. I can't believe I was trying to please these people. And you get you become hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. So in the journey, the one thing that's required is love towards yourself and kindness towards yourself and grace towards yourself and patience with yourself and not be angry because at the end of the day, this is still part of your evolution. And as long as we're alive, we're evolving. This is just another stage. And in this stage of, of your evolutionary process, you're actually shaking free 
from the trappings that you thought, as you said, were necessary. And you found out they were only necessary because of the you you created because you were running from who you were. That's right. Running from who we are and then realizing I want that person back. I want to reclaim me. Yes, yes. That's where the freedom is. So you have made reference to the book. Tell us about the book and how it connects to this journey. Yeah, the the book is entitled Searching for Agabus, um, Embracing Authenticity and Finding Your Way to You. You know, it was funny because I remember you and I spoke briefly when your book had just come out. I had just turned in my my manuscript and I said, you know, this is really in alignment. This sounds a lot like your book, right? I was like, it makes sense. It made all the sense in the world, right? (laughs) Yeah. So Agabus is a prophet who only has about two to three sentences in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows who Agabus is, but yet he's he's a saint in the Catholic Church, a saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church. There are feast days in honor of Agabus. And I can't give it away, but I use Agabus in a very unique way to help us begin to walk that road to authenticity. So the entire book, in many ways, is a critique, as you said, as I said earlier, of this culture, of this cultural addiction to validation and begin to raise awareness to the bondage we're not aware of because the the captivity is so normalized in our culture through social media and other platforms. And so what I want to do is raise the awareness and not chart out a path, but give the touch points so that you can begin to chart your own path. Because what I say in the intro of the book is that I trust each person to find their own way. There is no one way to freedom. Say that again. (laughs) There's no one way to freedom. But if we're honest and open, we'll find our own path. And that's the good thing. Our individual path that we discover is also in alignment with with who we are we were that we want to create, reclaim to, in order to do what? To live the lives we are created to live mm. and live those lives in freedom. So the book does that. The last chapter, Into the Silence, you would appreciate this. I enter that in a very unique, unique way in the opening lines by, uh, I think the line says, numerous are the tentacles of sexual assault. Mm. And Thank I you. I use Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You mm-hmm. and her acceptance speech when she won the Emmy mm-hmm. as an entrance into that silent place, mm-hmm. into the silence that we have. Yes. To so, yeah. 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 And that I, I'm so glad that you incorporated the silence because I think that's a part of what keeps a lot of us inauthentic is we're not in touch with ourselves. We're constantly consuming outside material right? Television and social media and talking on the phone and the radio. And so in the silence, it's frightening for a lot of people because we meet ourselves there, the self we've been running from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the things she said that that just struck me, I remember I was on vacation, I watched her and I was like, oh, I remember I went and wrote that whole last chapter before I wrote even the introduction. Uh, I I knew that's where I wanted to land. Yes. And I, you know, she said, in our, in our culture, visibility has become synonymous with success. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. why we do so much to be seen, to be known, to be heard, because yeah. we think it means success. Mm-hmm. But the beauty, there's beauty in anonymity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we miss that beauty. 
sometimes because we want to be seen and we want to live life out loud. Mm -hmm. But the reality is I, I learned this as a pastor. I spent so many years as a young pastor wanting to be impressive, mm. missing the opportunity to be impactful. Mm. Right. And that desire to be impressive is connected with my own insecurities. Yeah. Right? And, and the more you live this life, you realize that life is about impact mm. and impact on other human beings. Mm -hmm. and having deep, lasting impact doesn't mean you'll be a celebrity. Mm -hmm. right? Right. But you, you can live this life and lead this life knowing that you were free, right? And, yeah. and one thing I said in the book is that I learned this, Dr. Tama, as a pastor 20, 27 years now in conversations with those who are dying. Mm. Because when you sit and have conversations with those who are fighting for their last breath, I've never heard one person in all these years say, I wish I had a bigger house. Mm -hmm. I wish I had more cars. And they sure didn't say, I wish I had more followers on social media. Right. right? They yeah. said, like, I wish I had more time and mm -hmm. more time to laugh and more time to love and more time to see trees and see the ocean. And I, and I said something that has stayed with me even before I put in the book. I said, what is important for the dying ought to be priorities for the living. Mm -hmm. Live our lives yes. that Live it that way for the real things, the yeah. real things. Real thing. So I know that people will want to get the book and also want to follow you and stay connected with your ministry. So tell them how they can do that. Well, I would say the easiest way to get the book is um, Amazon, where everybody gets their books. I think <laughs> if they want, you can go also to um, the church's website is fcbcnyc.org because they can also purchase the book there, fcbcnyc.org, searching for Agabus on, on Amazon. And then they can see me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, primarily at Mike Walron, M-I-K-E-W-A-L-R-O-N-D. And, and I had to learn to even, you know, get on social media during the pandemic because it wasn't really my thing. You know, it was one of those places I was hesitant to, but you know, it is an amazing space to connect and also to really express those ideas mm -hmm. and to share. And I've had, I had to learn that over the past five years or so. So, yeah. Yes. No, I love that you put up uh, the clips and do the lives as well. So bringing yeah. ministry to where people are. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I, and I've learned that and, I, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity, but always doing my own personal check-ins, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't get lost in that space. My me the media team and the church, I'll pass you need to do it. it they'll every day, tons of things that need to be done. I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm like, pray for me. Right. You know, it's funny. It's like the book. It, it was the, the most interesting meeting I had with the team at Broadleaf when they said to me, Pastor, you know, we would love for you. I know you know a lot of people. You can get some people to do blurbs on the back of the bubble. I said, wait a minute, that counters the book. If I saying we don't need to be mm, right. to my list of validation. Right. They were like, hmm. <laughs> so that then I said, y'all clearly didn't read this book. I said, I need to read this book. I said, good. So we had a great laugh. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's a, not following the formula, right? Right. Living right. the freedom, living the freedom. 
Right. So I don't know if you have the book in front of you or if yeah. you have a quote. Great. Can you share a quote or just read us a passage for closing? Yes, I will. Um, okay, I'll read a, a few lines. Mm-hmm. It says this. I mean, there's a lot before it, but it says this. And I don't want to do it too long. Well, maybe I, what, what two, a minute worth? Yep. Yeah, okay, let me read because this is good. Here's what I just shared with you. In spite of the inability of the unfree to fully see the nature of their captivity, I believe that somewhere deep within, in places untouched and untainted by their captivity, the unfree long to be free. Somewhere deep within, there are unspoken desires for an unbound life. In fact, we all harbor deep longings for freedom to be our authentic selves. We long to sing the song of freedom. There are lyrics that languish within the unfathomable corridors of the imagination, lyrics that our souls long to release. Deep within all of us, there is music shaped by the rhythms of our lives. And that music and those lyrics often remain hidden, unknown, and untouched. Some call it soul music. It is the music and songs of freedom, the freedom to be your authentic self. It is the music whose harmonies make us whole. That music can only be played and the songs can only be sung if you are willing to accept yourself, embrace yourself, love yourself. You must be willing to bask in the glow, glory, and grandeur of your authenticity. You must be at ease in the magnitude of your uniqueness. Freedom feels like and looks like you. Imagine the you who no longer needs to pretend to be what you are not. Imagine the you who refuses to suffer from a crisis of identity because others tell you who and what you should be. That you is the free you, the liberated you, the rebellious you, the authentic you. Oh, come on now. Yes. (laughs) The poetry, the philosophy, the preaching, the therapy, (laughs) all of it. We say yes, yes. yes. (laughs) Oh, thank you for that. And it is a call and an invitation for us to get free and to reclaim our authentic selves. And so I want to thank you so much for being with us on today. Yes, thank you for having me. And for our listeners, I invite your soul to tell your heart, mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. <music>